Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. You will speak no evil of the great Kelly Olenek. Such is the news of the day as we head into the final day of games before the All-Star break. And damn it, we need it. Because we've been grinding, man. We've been grinding. It's been fun, though. I, you know, I've had more fun this fantasy season than I think in like the last two or three years. And maybe being out of the COVID I know it still is out there, so I don't want you guys to take this the wrong way. We've all been impacted by it. We're all still trying desperately to dodge it so we don't have to keep our kids home from school for two weeks and then also be sick for two weeks alongside them. But from just like a an NBA feel standpoint, you haven't seen the massive total of games missed. You haven't seen it the wave of it run through the league. Things just feel a little bit more normal. I do wonder also uh, if, as we get towards the end of the season, if we start to see that the average number of games played this year was actually just a tiny bit higher than the last couple, you're still getting plenty of injuries that are knocking guys out for a month and a half, and most of the top of the board has dealt with something. Anthony Davis, long absence. KD, long absence. Steph, two long absences. Dame had an absence early. Kyrie had all of his weird stuff. JJJ started the year late. Jimmy Butler always misses his games. Harden missed a month. So everybody's had their thing. Except for uh, Halliburton missed a bunch of ball games in there. He got back quicker than expected, but only Jason Tatum really has just played among the top guys. And then Jokic has been kind of close. They're, they're giving him some days off here for hammy things. But it just, I don't know. And maybe it's because uh, a lot of our suggestions here on the show this year have gone better. So I, I feel less, I feel like what I feel responsible for is generally more of a positive sensation. But either way, it's just kind of nice. But regardless, you know, quick hits on Twitter, you know, 120 of those in a row, or whatever we're at right now, and the, and the podcast streak continues. I do still need a couple days off just from the intense day-to-day sort of like picking over the carcass here of whatever's happening in the fantasy world. I'm sure you guys do too, even though we will still have shows uh, over the All-Star break. We're uh, We're not skipping those. But welcome one and all. Live viewers, recorded viewers, however you're taking in today's show, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Vespris. You can find me on Twitter at, you know, Dan Vespris. It's not at, you know, Dan Vespris. It's just at Dan Vespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. For the live YouTube viewers, you can see it right there on your screen. For everybody listening, uh, hopefully you guys can find it in the podcast description. That's an easy place to track me down. Uh, or just spell it from what I just said. But I do hope I'll see you over there because we are very busy on social, and it's frankly the only way to win uh, anything more than the least competitive of fantasy basketball leagues. But let's just dive right on in. We got a big box score set to go through from yesterday. Uh, What is it, 10-game Wednesday, I think is what it was. But anyway, let's dive in. Not a whole lot from Chicago and Indy. I don't want to spend more than a minute or two on this ball game. Alex Caruso uh, 
uh, is doubtful for the second half of their back-to-back, which is a damn shame because when DeMar DeRozan was out last time, we know he stepped up in a big way. He had some foul stuff going on in this ball game, but he still got his four defensive stats and a three-pointer. Uh, no big complaints. I think I was hoping for maybe more like one or two extra rebounds or one or two extra assists, but it's hard to complain when somebody gets you four defensive stats, almost regardless of whatever else they do. My biggest complaint is that we're not going to get to milk him for two games in a row. Kobe White exploded for 25 points on 12 shots off the bench. I can't imagine he's going to be this hot every ball game. But if DeMar and Caruso are out tonight, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, this is more the look-ahead part of the proceedings, you've got to figure that Io DeSunmu picks up a lot of the slack, and then perhaps you do get another decent game out of Kobe White. More score-y than the other stuff, typically, for White, but might just be barely good enough to get you over the hump. Aaron Neesmith had 21 points on 12 shots on the other side. Again, it's it's about running hot and cold. The Pacers tried starting TJ McConnell, and it went very poorly. They brought him back off the bench in the second half, and Rick Carlisle and his tinkering, he sort of realized quickly that that was a bad idea. Moving Tyrese Halliburton off of point was kind of dumb. Anywho, uh, I'm not picking up Neesmith. I would need to see this about four games in a row before I believed it was something that could stick. Charlotte, San Antonio. I talked a little bit about the Spurs during the pre-show uh, over on the live YouTube feed, but I, I think some of this does bear repeating on the podcast. That team badly needs a point guard, and that's Trey Jones, but he's been out a little bit lately. Uh really kind of mostly out. He tried to come back, seemed like maybe he was playing through a little bit of pain, so they shut him back down. Not a big fan of how that went. They've been very quiet on how long they expect Trey to be out. I'm hoping we get some sort of news uh, towards the tail end of the All-Star break, so around this time next week, I guess. In the meantime, the Spurs have a whole bunch of guys that profile much better as points league or head-to-head punt build options. Jeremy Sohan, he's a popcorn stats kind of guy where the percentages aren't great. Malachi Branham, popcorn stats where the percentages, I know I had a better shooting game here, but the percentages typically are not that great. Keldon Johnson, frankly, has been more in that build, although, you know, if you take the whole body of work together, it's been a little bit more reliable than the other guys. Devontae Graham is a punt field goal guy that also, again, kind of profiles better on the points league side, although he only played 22 minutes in this ballgame. And then you're left with basically, you know, one and a half. If we, can't, if we count Keldon Johnson as kind of like a half for this thing, you're left with one and a half category league plays on the Spurs. And the other one, the full one, corresponds to Zach Collins, who's kind of running the offense out of the center spot while Trey Jones is out. He's making a lot of passes out of the high post. Hence the big assist numbers lately. So let's keep riding Zach Collins. He's looked outstanding since they moved Jakob Pertl. I don't think that the super high assist numbers last rest of season once they get a little more reliable point guard play back. But we don't know how long Trey's going to be out. So, you know, enjoy the extra assists while you're getting them. And then you know, Collins is 
should be fine rest of season regardless. You're just seeing a little bit of extra upside here kind of uh, sliced into the mix due to various absences for that team. Devin Vassell be actually being another one where his eventual return, I'm going to assume that it does happen, likely takes a big chunk out of Sohan and Branham, if I had to guess. And Devontae Graham. Over on the Charlotte side, Terry Rozier sat this one out. It seemed like maybe they just wanted to give him a break going into the All-Star break. They said something about a sprained arm or wrist. I don't know. I'll believe it if it's a thing a week from now. I think Charlotte is off for nine days. They have one of the longer All-Star break breaks. If anybody's out when they come back, we got another lovely glimpse of what full starters minutes Dennis Smith Jr. can do, but I don't think he's going to be this level of fill-in on the other side of the All-Star break. There's a chance we get Terry Rozier back. There's even a chance you see Kelly Oubre. Uh, so, no, I don't think I would add Dennis Smith Jr. using a roster move, but if you have a kind of like a dead slot on the Roto side and you could treat him as basically an injured player, which I know is nuts because he's very much a healthy player, uh, where you only just drop him in there if... The guys in front of him are still out nine days from now. I, again, you know, is that too much work? Maybe. Possibly. But that's the way you have to treat that. Mark Williams, 12-10 and 10 with four blocks. Hard to complain about that line. Nick Richards had 6-9 and nine with five blocks, although it did seem like he got away with maybe two goal tens in this ballgame. The refs were treating this game about as seriously as Charlotte and San Antonio were. They let a lot of weird stuff go. In any event, you can't pick up Nick Richards in only 18 minutes. He's not a, a massive shot blocker, generally. The Spurs just had a bunch of guys. Kata Bates' job was generally the guy who was getting rejected. I mean, the span of Tony, they're just not very good. And so you get these guys bungling their way towards the rim, and then big men are going to block them. Charlotte had 12 blocks in the ballgame. That's a lot, by the way. Gordon Hayward uh, started the game 6 out of 6 from the field, and then he missed a bunch of free throws and his last four shots. I still think he's generally trending in a better direction. You know, from the 200 range earlier in the year, he's probably going to be more like, you know, between 100 and 130 or 40 now, which might play in some head-to-head -head spots. Just again, understanding that you're not going to get any de defensive stats out of him in general. Uh, the turnovers have been weirdly high. The free throw has been weirdly low. It's a lot to swallow with Gordon. Ah, well. Uh, Philly over Cleveland. There's never really anything to look at on the Cavaliers' side. It sounds like they're going to buy out Kevin Love. That's probably the most fantasy-relevant story you've got for the Cavs these days. Where does he end up? Probably nowhere uh, that matters. On the Philly side, we got 34 minutes out of DeAnthony Melton. You guys may recall, I hope you recall, if you've been paying close attention to the pod, that I said I was going to give him exactly two more games to get his act together. Well, he got his act together and won. So that's going to buy him... I think every time he has a good ball game, I'm going to look at him and say, okay, you basically get like three more. Because you got to be doing this more than once every three or four games. But if it does trend that way, then great. This happened because he was playing better. Tyrese Maxey was okay, but not great. Jalen McDaniels wasn't particularly good. So Melton got the bump. I am still genuinely concerned that the fact that Maxey, Jalen McDaniels, 
Niang, all these guys are kind of breathing down Melton's neck now that there just really isn't the same margin for error where, you know, when Maxi was out, even if Melton was having a bad ball game, he got minutes. Now, he needs a backcourt player to be not good or hurt for him to get that full starter's workload. I still think he probably ends up being a drop, but I don't know that for sure, and that's why I'm giving him a little bit more time. Knicks blew out the Hawks. Uh, Atlanta's, well, I don't know. We don't need to get into the reality side of it. Uh, John Collins left this ballgame partway. Uh, I think he got hit in the head. I still think he's uh, a hold. Now that he's no longer worried about trade stuff, he's a hold. Uh, but as a team, the Hawks just, they need a reboot. They got blown out. You can, can kind of throw this box score out. I wouldn't make any big moves based on it. And then over on the Knicks side, I really I think it's a matter of time before Josh Hart is playing 30-plus minutes per ball game, but he's doing enough even without it right now. So see it through. Isaiah Hartenstein had a better ball game. Excuse me, Hartenstein. Uh... Jericho Sims was worse, but again, I don't think either of those guys is consistent enough to warrant a long-time roster spot. I think we can move along. This game really didn't have a whole lot going on in it. Brooklyn riding 45 from Mikhail Bridges, a huge career night for Mikhail. Beat the Miami Heat, the scuffling Heat again, uh, 116-105, uh, not that anybody was going to drop Mikael Bridges, but it is cool to see him explode like that because I think there is a fear, and I have a little bit of the fear with Bridges, that he won't be able to keep up the efficiency when he doesn't have Chris Paul and Devin Booker creating the open spaces for him. And that still could happen. You know, one gigantic ball game doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to, but it is cool to see. Uh, Cam Johnson, very much a hold. Nicholas Claxon, very much a hold. I know that he's been a little quieter going to the All-Star break. The player that I wanted to point out, and we talked about him on, not yesterday's show, I think it was the day before, I think it was Tuesday's pod, is Cam Thomas. And everybody was asking, should I drop, should I drop, should I drop? And I said, give this thing a little bit longer because Brooklyn needs offense. Look, Mikel Bridges is not going to go for 45 on 24 shots every ballgame. Cam Johnson's pretty good offensively, but he's not a creator for himself. Spencer Dinwiddie can create a little bit. Uh, and Cam Thomas can create. And to me, it just feels like there are going to be a lot of games where the Nets go stagnant on offense and turn to Cam Thomas, not Johnson, to go get some buckets. So head-to-head in points leagues, for sure, you got to hold on to Cam Thomas to see how this whole thing shakes out. Roto, I get it. Uh, you're basically just stashing at this point to see if he can carve out a mid-20s minutes roll. Because I do think there's going to be kind of a hot hand thing that goes on, but when he is the hot hand, you saw how hot he can get. He's not going to get anywhere near the value he had when he was throwing up 40 burgers, but he's also, to me, not an obvious drop. Not yet, at least. The Heat had a couple of relatively safe streams with no Tyler Hero, no Kyle Lowry. Gabe Vincent was a very easy stream there. He was one that I had in as many lineups as I could. Max Struess was one that I was kind of coin flippy about. 
because he doesn't do a whole lot besides hit three pointers, and you know that kind of carried through in this ball game. Uh, so he's a three-point stream. And now with Duncan Robinson back, it makes it harder, I think, to stream any of those shooters like Struess. Whereas with Vincent, at least, you know, he's kind of filling in as as the point guard, even if the Heat as a team only had 19 assists yesterday. So uh, we'll see what this team looks like coming out of the All-Star break. Tyler Hero was, was doubtful for each of these two last games he missed. What does that mean for him a week from now? I really don't know. I didn't like this Boston-Detroit game for a number of reasons. Number one reason is that Boston, like all of their guys, suddenly got ruled in. Derek White was doubtful, and then he went to probable. Jason Tatum went from out to playing. Marcus Smart was just mysteriously removed from the injury report and got 29 minutes his first game back. And by the way, a good one. He had six steals. So all of these guys that we had kind of prepped ourselves to play, uh, like a Sam Hauser or a Grant Williams or whatever... It just sort of didn't matter. Boston, you jerks. You can't be just ruling three guys in that were all expected to be out. Blew up any chance of using uh, sort of the low playing time guys on a back-to-back. Dang. The other thing I didn't like is that uh, James Wiseman took minutes away from Jalen Duran. Those two guys split the center minutes almost right down the pipe yesterday. Although... I do think if this game wasn't a shellacking, we probably would have seen more Duran down the stretch. We also saw Duran kind of re-injure his ankle a little bit. He wasn't moving that great. I think that was in the second quarter and then kind of tried to play through it. You're not dropping Duran. You're not adding Wiseman after one ball game like this. Uh, To me, I don't think Wiseman gets 24 minutes most games, at least if they're competitive, but maybe I'm wrong on that front. And even with 24 minutes you're not looking at him outside of a points league because fantasy-wise, he's a mess. Horrible foul shooter. The turnovers are typically kind of high, although he didn't have any in this ballgame, at least for what he does. He can score a little bit. He can rebound a little bit. uh, And then once in a while, once in a blue moon, he'll kind of fall into a block. But overall, so many nine-cat holes for Wiseman. Uh, And Duran is the future there. So I got to believe that they're not going to muck this up. Or at least give them enough time to prove to me they're not going to muck it up. Killian Hayes, low-end point guard for the 800th time on this podcast. I don't know why I have to keep repeating myself on that one, but people keep asking the same question over and over. Jaden Ivey, slowly improving, still hurts you in free throw percent, which is actually a reason that I did trade him away in one of my leagues. I just I, I can't deal with the free throw thing anymore. And then... Uh, Isaiah Stewart, apologies for my, uh, still exploding sinuses. I may never recover from this thing. We're like four, 16 days in and I still can't shake the last lingering effects. Isaiah Stewart, 26 minutes in a blowout. He probably would have seen a little bit more time late also. Uh, and he's been better. I am worried about what Wiseman's going to do to him, to Durin more than I was a day and a half ago, but still not enough to move off my positions. OKC beat Houston by almost 40 points. Oh, Rockets. The Rockets are, hands down, the most difficult team in the NBA to watch. It should be no surprise that they also have the fewest wins of anybody in the NBA. But they've earned it. They've earned it. 
The Spurs have leaned hard into the tank now, but I don't know. It feels like the Spurs are competitive for like two and a half to three quarters in a lot of their ball games, and for the Rockets, it's just hard to watch. Not only are they bad, but they play poorly. I really don't like it. I mean, I, I try to watch some Rocket games just to see if anything's going to shake loose there, but nothing ever does. So what are we even doing? It was nice to see Jabari Smith Jr. have a little bit of a more efficient ball game. I guess that's something. Jalen Green left this one early with a groin injury. We have no idea the severity of it because, again, you know, team heading into the All-Star break, they're always going to pull the plug on guys a little bit quicker. Just say, ah, you know what, like, whatever, let's not push this thing, especially on a tanking team. Uh, if Jalen Green misses time, it's not clear that any one player is going to just get all of it. I think you'll see more Jabari Smith Jr., which is great for head-to-head and points leagues where you need to sort of rack up counting stats. Uh, Josh Christopher picked up some bonus minutes off the bench. He was kind of like the direct, it's a little bit more of a one-to-one fill-in for Jalen Green. I would have hoped that they would have moved a bunch of guys down the board to get a little more Tari Eason on the map, but it didn't really happen that way either. Eason, to me, is a drop. Uh, KJ Martin, you're seeing the other side. We knew that the sort of lava hot run was going to run out at some point, and then, like, what does he do when that happens? And this is the answer. He gives you one of the worst fantasy lines of anybody that played yesterday. So, And that was why I said he was more of a head-to-head points league kind of guy. Because of those weird holes in a fantasy game. It makes it hard to play a 9-cat guy when they're only like kind of good at a couple of stuff and then also bad at a few things. Apologies. Oh, the Rockets are a tough, a tough beast. Alperin Shengun, he's been outside the top 100 the last three weeks after that insane heater that started against, thank you very much, Thomas Bryant and the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, this is the thing. Like, we are, as a collective, a little overreactive. And so when Shengun got going, then there was this sort of almost like across the the entire fantasy landscape, this desire to anoint him as a top 20 guy. But you could look at the numbers and you could see what was out of whack. The field goal percent was way too high on super high volume. I mean, he's not going to be a 65% field goal guy when he's also running the offense. He might be in the mid-50s. I'm okay with that assessment. But he was also averaging like near a triple-double and almost like three to four defensive stats per ball game. It was way above what he had done. And we all want, because he's young, it makes it a little bit easier to say, oh, this is the new iteration of player X. And we can do this with almost any young player in the NBA. When the reality is, players make typically kind of incremental improvements in what they do. And over the course of a season, there's an ebb and a flow, a sine wave of player productivity. Players get hot, players get cold. The hope is that over the course of the year, the the best fit line is up, trending up by a little bit. And I think for him it has in general. Shangun's best fit line is trending up by little bits. But is he a top 25 guy? Is he a second rounder rest of season? No. From three weeks of being a second rounder. Is he a top 140 guy? No from three weeks of being a top-run 40 guy. The reality is that he falls somewhere in between. Probably somewhere between 50 and 80. 
So right now, if someone sees him falling and they're like, oh no, these god-awful rockets, Shangun's been a wreck, things are falling apart, could you pry him away for, I don't know, like a Spencer Dinwiddie around 80 type? Probably not. But if you have someone on your team that's a little buzzy, that's ranked like, I don't know, somewhere between 75 and 100. See if you can go get him. I think it's worth a try. Why not, right? Why not? For the Thunder, they just they got something out of everybody. When you put up a buck 33 in a blowout and everybody gets to play 18 to 26 minutes, you're going to get a bunch of different guys that do fantasy stuff. Jalen Williams had 16 rebounds and a couple of steals in 25 minutes. He's a watch list guy, but he's not an ad. Dario Saric had a pretty good line, but he played only 14 minutes, so no... Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl played only 18 minutes, so no. Uh, Josh Giddy is going to do, I think, a little bit less as this team gets fully healthy. We still haven't seen Alexei Pokushevsky coming back. It's hard, uh, but for now, Shea, obviously, first-rounder. Uh, Jalen Williams is a start, and then probably Giddy as well. I would say yes to Giddy as well, but that's as far as I go. Memphis beat Utah, 117-111. Colin Sexton left this game four minutes in. That's a huge bummer because he was one of our big three trade deadline winner pickups. Let's hope he's ready to go by the other side of the All-Star break. I think it might actually even take him a tiny bit longer to get back. But in the meantime, the guy that picked up a lot of the Colin Sexton run actually was Juan Toscano-Anderson, but Taylor Horton Tucker also added about another seven or eight minutes to his ledger. THT goes from being a points league and head-to-head punt build ad to an all-formats ad, as long as Colin Sexton is out, because he is now basically the other like guard runner on this thing, besides Jordan Clarkson. Instead of being the third guard that runs the team, he's now number two. And he's more of a pass-first guard than Clarkson is. So... The assists are basically now guaranteed for THT. Again, this is as long as Sexton is out. Uh, and you should go and check your wire. He probably got picked up in a lot of spots because people love points and assists, and he was doing that even when his role was a little bit more limited. But now he steps into a guaranteed spot where the usage is probably now finally going to be high enough to kind of counterweight the fact that both of his percentages are trash. He's a great points league option and a great punt some percentage option, but I do think that now the playing time and the usage is going to be so high that it'll be good enough to overcome that stuff, at least as long as Sexton's on the shelf. Uh, also, no Lowry Markkinen in this ballgame, so I wouldn't read too much into the various wings getting more playing time. Um, Ochai, I'm going to muck up that last name, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Really promising young basketball player. Uh, I believe it's Abaji. Um, he had 17 points, but not a whole lot else, so you're not adding there. Uh, Markkinen will be back. I, you know, as a Laker fan, I'm quietly rooting for the Jazz to lose, but as a Kelly Olynyk fan, I am very loudly rooting for the Jazz to win because Olynyk had to run a little more point with Colin Sexton out. Someone on Twitter was like, yeah, he did all this because Markkinen was on the shelf. Yes, he scored 28 points because Markkinen was on the shelf. I would not, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Uh, because he's not going to take 16 shots most ballgames. But guess what? Larry played in their last ballgame, and Kelly had 18 points in that one also. And 10 rebounds. 
The assists are going to be up after the Mike Conley trade. The rebounds are going to be up after the Jared Vanderbilt move. And the general having to do stuff is going to be up for Olenek just because they don't have that many guys left. And lo and behold, over the last week, Kelly Olenek is inside the top 30. He's shooting over his head in that stretch, but he's also low in defensive stats over that stretch. So are we about to get a Kelly Olynyk-Houston Rockets run here to finish out the NBA regular season? Probably not. He was a second rounder. But I think Kelly Olynyk could go top 50 the rest of the way, and I'd, I'd, I'd call it a 50-50 shot. He's inside the top 50, and I'm basically saying it's a 100% chance he's inside the top 80 the rest of the way. So he's like a seventh rounder or better, basically lock. And I have him in a ton of places. I think 50% of all of the leagues that I'm in, I have Kelly Olenek, which shouldn't surprise anybody because you guys know I have a bungalow on Olenek Island. And I intend to enjoy it. Hey, Brandon Clark got a spot start yesterday. We didn't know this was happening until like a half an hour before the ball game began. And that's a huge bummer because when Clark starts, I starts Clark. Damn it all to hell. I thought they'd go Tillman against the giant Walker Kessler, but they went Clark to just try to run him out of the building, and uh, that would have been good to know. Steven Adams sounds like he might be back on the other side of the All-Star break, so unfortunately we can't act on the Brandon Clark spot start. And all I can do is look longingly at his fantasy line and think, oh, what if... Dallas went into Denver. They gave Kyrie a day off. I think they said his back was sore, but I think it's because nobody wants to fly into Denver and then play. Uh, and they lost. This game was actually not as close as the final score would indicate, and the playing time, I think, is a, a good indicator of that. I don't know why Luka played 35 minutes. I guess they thought they could wage like a 19-point comeback in the last 10 minutes. They didn't. Uh, but Luka was, was big Luka with no Kyrie around, so there's that. And then Josh Green, or, well, Christian Wood is also uh, notable. He's in the 20s in minutes. I think that's where he sits. I think you're going to get more of, like, a top 75 to 100 range, Christian Wood. And he was another example of someone that was a sell high when he was going insane. You guys, we've done this long enough to know certain things don't last. You want to know the reason that Christian Wood isn't going 35 minutes every ball game? It's because the rest of the team is getting healthy and they don't need his offense as much when Kyrie and Luka, and Kyrie didn't play this ballgame, but when those guys are around, they don't need Wood to score as much. They rely a little bit more on the defense of other centers. I do think that Wood probably gets up into like the 24-25 range when all is said and done, but they're actually kind of liking what Dwight Powell brings with those two ball-dominant starters. So there's the rub with Josh Green. Uh, he doesn't do a whole lot besides hit three-pointers. I know his playing time is big. I still think that on the head-to-head -head side, he probably profiles as kind of like the end-of-your-team, I'll-let-him-go safe play. But as I've said all week long, I don't think he's a roto play rest of season. Denver's bringing in Reggie Jackson to uh, play some point guard. That's going to screw up the Bruce Brown stream. 
Because when Jamal Murray sits, you probably see Reggie start instead of Bruce Brown now. And suddenly now it's everybody else where he takes their place. Just something to keep in mind. I do think the Reggie Jackson signing impacts Bruce Brown negatively. Uh, otherwise, not a whole lot to take away from this ball game. Nuggets won again. Kola Jokic had a pretty boring triple-double and once again shot over 50%. It's crazy. Okay. Um, so are the Lakers good now? I know, it's one ball game, so we're not going to get too carried away here. That would be a dumb thing to do. Uh, but the Lakers starters in particular looked really good. I honestly can't remember the last time the Lakers won the start of the first and the third quarters. That never happens. I feel like I need to attach a disclaimer because the Russell Westbrook fans are so mad anytime he gets blamed for what happened to the Lakers. And I feel like Rob Palinka, in all of his grotesque weirdness, said it pretty well when he was like, look, you can't put it on Russ because we made that trade to bring in a player that we thought was superstar level, and we sent out all of our like NBA average role player talent to slightly above average to get him. So on the front end, the Lakers sent out a bunch of guys that were really good fits and on decent contracts to get one player who wasn't a good fit on an albatross of a contract. So it shouldn't be that surprising. Like, I love what Jared Vanderbilt did for the Lakers yesterday. He's not a fantasy ad because you you can see it. There's just sort of not enough there for him. I did like the 27 and a half minutes. He's a watch list guy. Vanderbilt's a watch list guy. But he was out there to go stop Brandon Ingram. And effectively, he did. Ingram had 25 points, but it took him 21 shots to get there. D'Angelo Russell... Loved what he did yesterday. Malik Beasley, he was decent. Not great, but decent. And I'm going to say something a little bit dumb and simple when you think about how, you know, how nuanced all of this stuff really does need to be. But the Lakers could have brought in almost any three average or slightly above average NBA role players for Russ, and it would have made them better. Because what the Lakers truly lacked, forget defense and spacing and all that very obvious stuff that they lacked. These guys are a good fit. Yes, that helps. But what the Lakers really lacked was actual NBA-level players. Where when LeBron went out of a ball game, the whole thing didn't just completely explode. Just coming apart at the seams because the guys that were out there without LeBron couldn't carry a team at all. And now, those guys get pushed back into a second unit. Dennis Schroeder, 20 minutes yesterday. That's what he should be doing. I love Austin Reeves. Low 20s in minutes, that's probably where he should be. On days when he's playing a little better, give him a little bit more. Lonnie Walker barely played because he can shoot a little bit, but he can't play any defense. Rui Hachimura, decent, 
should be in a second unit to get you some boards and some scoring and exploit mismatches. Troy Brown, second unit. I mean, Troy Brown was barely playing on teams prior to this year in L.A. So it's not meant as a slight on Russ. But Russ was not only a bad fit, but his contract didn't allow the Lakers to get three role players and push all their veteran minimum guys down towards the end of the bench where those guys belonged. I mean, you could equally blame it on those guys for having to play a bigger role. So yes, this trade made the Lakers a lot better in a number of different ways, and there's a lot of blame to go around, but the simple answer is Russ was a horrible fit on a gigantic contract. These guys are better fits on less gigantic contracts. I expect the Lakers to be pretty formidable the rest of the way, not to mention the fact the Lakers have uh, a tough couple games right out of the All-Star break, but then the last month of the season, basically like March through the last day, they have one of the easiest schedules in the NBA. AD, D'Angelo, LeBron obviously belong on fantasy teams. Uh, Vanderbilt is the other one that's a maybe right now. 27 and a half minutes typically is enough for him. He was getting pushed around a little by uh, Jonas Valanciunas on the glass, and he was chasing Ingram the whole ball game, so he couldn't do his usual uh, dominating the rebounds type of shtick. But I'll tell you what, if if the Lakers' plan is to give Vanderbilt 27 minutes per ball game, that's actually enough for him to have fantasy value. So keep a really close watch on him. I don't think you need to add him after a quiet ball game. I don't think anybody's racing to do so. Uh, but look, who the hell do the Lakers play? coming out of the break 27 and 32 yuck uh they host the warriors a week from today the 23rd um i'm sure they're hoping that steph is not back for that ball game draymond's gonna be tough they don't really have an ingram for vanderbilt to chase around but you know maybe they put him on andrew wiggins or something like that i'll say this if Vanderbilt plays 13 or more minutes in the first half of that game a week from today, I probably add him at halftime. Uh, and then as far as the Pelicans go, Trey Murphy was just god-awful in this game, so he got yanked quickly. Hold, he's been really good outside of this one. Uh, Josh Richardson got ejected, although he was actually on his way to a decent ball game again. So watch list for Richardson, hold for Trey Murphy, hold on Herb Jones. He finally looks healthy. Um... No Larry Nance. So remember like three days ago, I was saying if you get a game where Nance isn't playing, that's where you can drop JV into your lineup for better than top 150 value. Well, it happened much more quickly than I expected. Just want to take a, a moment here as we're pivoting over to the uh, kind of what to watch for on the short Thursday card. To remind everybody, if you're listening on a recorded side, please come join us live on YouTube. Uh, again, I don't know if we're going to have one tomorrow, so maybe that's not the best way, best day to do this promo, but I'm going to do it anyway, damn it. Uh, most days, we are doing this around 9 a.m. Pacific time. So come join us for those. We'd love to have you. And if you're already watching on YouTube, or frankly, screw it, even if you're not already watching on YouTube, please remember to subscribe. It's youtube.com slash sports ethos. And today, I actually answered like 30 questions before the show even started. You want access to your buddy Dan Vesperus yelling at you through a screen? That's the way to do it. YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos. If you're watching live right now, please remember to click that like button. And uh, subscribing should be a hell of a lot easier because you're already there. 
Again, a reminder to find me on Twitter at Dan Vespers. And now that the internet has uh, acquiesced, Milwaukee at Chicago tonight. We already talked about the Bulls uh, on the back-to-back tier. Possible stream of a Kobe White. Possible stream of an Io DeSumo. Uh, Milwaukee. Sounds like Pat Connaughton is out. I believe Bobby Portis is still out. I honestly don't know who picks up that playing time. I don't think I would venture really any farther in with the Bucks. Chris Middleton, I would expect him to get up around 26 minutes if this is a competitive ball game. In every minute you add to Middleton, the other guys just do a tiny bit less. So we'll see. Washington at Minnesota. This is actually a really important game for me. I want to see how many minutes Daniel Gafford gets if he's not in foul trouble and Kyle Kuzma is playing. That's critically important to me to find out what we can expect from Gafford going forward. Kind of the same story for Denny Avdia, although he wasn't in foul trouble and he didn't get many minutes in the last one. And it's part of the reason that I was a little bit nervous about him. You guys heard me. I was kind of hemmed and hawed on Avdia. Almost got talked into it full bore, but I kept hemming and hawing. And uh, it worked out because we dodged that last ball game. Minnesota, I'd love to know how many minutes slow-mo is playing. That means everything to me. If we know he's still on a minutes cap, it does make him kind of hard to start. Mike Conley looks fine there already. Clippers, do we see any adjustments of the new guys here in all their second game glory together? Eric Gordon, Bones, Mason Plumley, they all got around ish, like 15 to 20 minutes in that first one, roughly. It's an, it's an approximation. Uh, I am genuinely concerned that. Mason Plumley carves out Ivica Zubats, and uh, neither one of those guys ends up with value going forward. And then for Phoenix, uh, nothing, really. Um, Josh Okogie's been a really good stream. Nobody knew is back for the Suns in this one, so I presume he will continue to be a good stream. With the caveat that uh, the Clippers, they have some pretty decent wings defensively. Reason for a tiny bit of nerves if you're throwing a Kogi out there. But he has been pretty good lately, so uh, I would certainly understand it if you wanted to do so. Again, tomorrow... Uh, oh, Chris Middleton just got ruled out. Ah, dang, nabbit. That's unfortunate. That wasn't even a... That wasn't even a back-to-back. Ah. All right, well, they're just giving him a little bit of longer All-Star break, I guess. Man, what a pisser. Come on, Middleton. Guess they feel they can beat the floundering bulls without him. Womp womp. Well, Grayson Allen should probably have a decent ball game. You might even see Joe Ingles with a decent one. Guess you got more streaming options there now. All right, now we're officially done. Uh, we did the questions pre-show over on the YouTube side, and maybe I'll keep doing that going forward. Seems like people really enjoyed it. To my recorded pod listeners and my live listeners, tomorrow's show will probably be recorded only we'll do a recap of these three thursday games and a little all-star weekend preview again like and subscribe wherever you might be to the podcast youtube recorded itunes spotify whatever drop a five-star review if that's something you could do i don't know there's all these places we're trying to put the show out now so whatever applies to you do that i'm dan vespers that's also my twitter handle that's where i'll see you guys next toodaloo